right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 30, we saw where Rachel had began, had, was envious of her sister Leah because Leah was fruitful and had a number of sons that she had given Jacob. And so Rachel devised a plan by using her maidservant Bilhah to give to Jacob in order that Rachel herself may have children through her. And so Bilhah produced two children. Now Leah seeing the same thing, that is Leah had stopped bearing. We saw that at the end of chapter 29, Leah had stopped off from bearing children and she saw her sister Rachel going through this particular thing and using her maidservant to bear children. Leah decided to do the same thing. So she gave her maidservant Zilpah to Jacob, her husband, and Zilpah bore likewise two sons. And then we see the incident coming <laughs> with the son of Leah coming in from the field, that is Reuben, with these particular passion fruits, mandrakes. And Rachel, once again, relying on her scheming in such a sense, and not so much as praying unto God for a child, but nevertheless, she devised a plan that she would take of these mandrakes, passion fruit, and would have children with the help of these. And so she bargained with Leah for her son's mandrakes. And so Leah uh, agreed to this and she purchased Jacob for that night. That is the idea that Jacob would sleep with her. And so God, once again, listened to the voice of Leah in this sense and gave Leah two additional sons. And so uh, after Rachel saw all of this, she began to understand how it was truly Yahweh, the God of Jacob, who was blessing with these children. And so Rachel finally turned her heart, which is the indication of the text, to seek God for these children. And God listened to the voice of Rachel and gave her a son by whom she named Joseph with the hope that the God of Jacob, her husband, Yahweh, would give her an additional child. And so after this particular instance, after the children we see here, Jacob decides to go back home. So he goes to Laban and seeks a peaceful uh, departure from Laban. Laban, in his own greed and self-interest, desired for Jacob to remain with him so that because he said he had divined that is, he had used some form of idolatrous mean. And we'll talk about that a little more in chapter 31. But he used some form of idolatrous means to determine that Jacob's God had blessed him because of Jacob's working for him. And so he he bargained with Jacob. What does it take for you to stay here? Tell me what your wages should be. And so Jacob said that he would take all of this from the sheep and the goat, the stripes, the speckled and things of that nature from the sheep and the goats. And that would be his pay. Laban deceived and cheated Jacob by taking out of his flock at that time, all of those spotted striped sheep and things of that nature took them. What is it? Three days journey away from Jacob so that Jacob would start off with nothing. And, and that's how he was cheating him. So he was clearly not treating Jacob fairly, even with the ways that he had just set. But anyway, so Jacob devised a scheme himself 
by where he placed a stick in the watering troughs of Laban's cattle, that is, you know, the sheep and the goat and things of that nature, so that when they would come to drink water and mate at the time when they would be drinking, they would turn out to be speckled and stripes and things of that nature. And so in doing this, we saw the flock of Laban dwindle and the flock of Jacob explode. And so now Jacob ends up being a very rich man, not only rich with the cattle that he has from sheep and goat, but he also is rich in camels, maid servants, men servants. So Jacob's wealth has exploded. And what we see concerning Laban's wealth, his wealth has dwindled. And we're going to continue with that concept in chapter 31. So let's get into it at this time. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field. And he said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly toward me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, the speckle should be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And, and if he spoke thus, the stripes shall be your wages. Then all the flock brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here am I. He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you are anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah said to him, do we still have any portion or an inheritance in our father's house? And let me stop there before I get into their response to Jacob. But anyway, so in this lengthy narrative section, it begins with the sons of Laban taking note of their father's diminished wealth and Jacob's increased wealth. And they kind of want to blame it per se upon Jacob. And they simply said that our, their inheritance, which is their father's wealth has been taken by Jacob. And so the attitude, the demeanor towards Jacob turned. And also we can see that there has been some sort of discussion of this matter with Laban's son and Laban. And Laban is now his attitude. And we remember that attitude that he had when he first met Jacob, how he came to him, ran to him and kissed him over and over and called him one of his flesh. 
that attitude has completely changed. And now there's an attitude or a disposition of hostility because Laban is, is now becoming or has become, should we say, impoverished as he looks with envy on how Jacob has become wealthy. So Jacob took note of this attitude and Jacob knew that the best thing for him to do is to leave. Now, remember, Jacob has great wealth and he also has wives and children. And so before Jacob got ready to leave there, God also spoke to him by virtue of a dream. And we see that uh, in a number of times in this particular chapter, God spoke to him in a dream, reassuring him of his protection. God said, go back to the land of promise. And that takes us to the land of your fathers. And that takes us all the way back to chapter 28, when jo jo Jacob had the dream and God had promised him in the dream that God be would be with him and ultimately bring him back to his father's house. And now we see this particular time has come and God has reassured him once again that in this journey, he would be with him. Why? Because Jacob is escaping. He is fleeing from Laban because the situation, the relationship between Laban, his sons and Jacob has become quite contentious at this time. So God assures him that he's going to be with him. But in a wise move, Jacob also is going to remember he has wives. He calls his wives into the field where he is working into the field where he can have a private conversation with his wives. And also it shows the wisdom of Jacob too, by having his wives to be compliant with everything that he is trying to do instead of resisting Jacob and make up the journey, making the journey more difficult. Okay. And all kinds of problems could could happen because of that. So he calls his wives, Rachel and Leah into the field and he begins to explain the situation to them. And he tells them how he has been faithful to their father, but their father has cheated and not been faithful to him. And then he goes through the scenario of how he, how their father changed his wages. And in the sense of changing his wages, he made the, he made, he would simply say, if your father said the speckle would be mine, then all of them turned out to be speckle. And he cheated and changed it again. He said, the spotted spotted should be mine. Then all of them turned to be spotted. The whole point he was trying to make is it was God who had given him Laban's wealth, because remember, we saw in the previous chapter when Jacob himself took that rod, remember that rod that he put in the water? And we told you earlier that this was a superstitious act of Jacob. But notice God appeared to Jacob in a dream and told him it was not this act of the rod in the water that made the sheep turn in the manner in which they did, but it was God because God had taken notice of how Laban was mistreating Jacob. And so therefore God gave, or should we even say transferred Laban's wealth unto Jacob and even not only transferred, but transferred with increase. Okay. And so Jacob continued to explain this to his wives to let them see that his hands, as far as in the manner were innocent, 
as and the wealth that Jacob had was not because Jacob was deceptive, but because God saw Jacob's mistreatment and had given him this wealth. And so now let's get into the response of Jacob's wives. Rachel and Leah said to him, do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. Then Jacob arose, put his children and his wives upon camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property which he had gathered, his acquired livestock, which he had gathered in Padam Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Okay, so now is the response of the wives. And notice how Rachel takes the lead. And no doubt we can understand that because she was the preferred, the favorite wife of Jacob. So they simply responded and, and said that how their father has mistreated even them and, and treated them as foreigners, not as daughters. That's the idea. And sold them as if they were slaves. And we, we understand that there was a dowry price. You got that, remember? And the dowry was the gift that was used to bargain the, that Jacob used to bargain in order to get them to give to Laban to be married to his two daughters. Remember, seven years for both of them. However, it was customary during this particular time that for some of the proceeds of the dowry that were, to, that were given uh, for the daughters were to be saved as an inheritance for the daughters. And so what they're saying is their father has splurged and misused their inheritance. There is no longer an inheritance that they themselves have. So on top of the mistreatment, like foreigners selling them like slaves, not having an inheritance, they recognize that the wealth of their father truly has been transferred by God to their husband and now their father's wealth is their wealth. And they are just simply gonna stand on the side of their husband because they are looking after the inheritance of their own family, of their own children. So they basically say to Jacob, you do whatever God tells you to do and you go back home to your father. We are with you. So they are now complying in that. And so Jacob arose and put his family. They simply got everything together, put the women and the children on camels for easy riding. And he went towards the land of Canaan. And notice we also see once again by the statement that it talks about the camels and the, the donkeys and things of that nature, the great wealth that Jacob had. But before they got ready to go, once now we see where Rachel goes back to her father's house, into her father's tents, 
and she steals his household gods, which are called the teraphim, the teraphim. Now, remember that I made an argument back in chapter 30 concerning Rachel. And I don't, and I don't want to say now, and I didn't, I hope I didn't imply then Rachel was some sort of an idolatress, but there is something to be desired in Rachel because these household idols is, is basically a small figurine. How do we know it's a small figurine? Because later on in this chapter, we're going to see that Rachel is sitting on top of it. Okay. And hiding it from Laban, but nevertheless, small figurine that is used in the house for idolatry. This is probably what probably we don't know for certain what Laban used when he said, I divine. Remember, we talked about that in the last chapter as well. Laban used some means of divining with idolatrous gods. He divined that Jacob's God, Yahweh, was blessing him, Laban, because of Jacob. OK, an idolatrous act. We spoke of all of that previously. And now we see Rachel here taking the teraphim, the household God. Now, this can imply, and this is uh, what I said, idolatry within itself, idolatry within itself. But we want to be fair to the text and we want to be fair to the interpretation of God's word. Also, and even contextually, we remember they are departing. The whole issue, the whole issue is about inheritance too. According to the, uh, uh, th these are ancient uh, documents, the Nuzi tablets, N-U-Z-I, the Nuzi tablets, basically 1400, 1500 BC, according to Nuzi tablets, customs of that time, that the, whoever should hold the household idol would be the ones to whom the inheritance is due, uh, have the right of the inheritance. And so this could indicate to some degree or, or justify or explain, which I think is the better word, what was possibly in the mind of Rachel when she took the household idol and that she was laying claim to the inheritance of her father. Okay. And also too, we'll notice that the figurines could have been of certain value. They could have been made of metal of something of more material value. All right. But nevertheless, nevertheless, this could have something to do contextually wise in saying that Rachel is not taking the figurine simply that she may worship it as an idol, but as an indication in the same sense that she has the claim to uh, her father's inheritance. Uh, and we'll see, I'll talk about that just a little bit more at the end of the chapter. But nevertheless, one thing to notice in contrast is the women never had an inheritance to the father's stuff. So it, whether she's doing, she can't be doing it for say for herself. When I say her father's stuff, that means the lands and things of that nature. These things were always given to the sons, but nevertheless, the idea could even be that it is Jacob, but without getting into all of the details that seems to be involved, the statements that I have been making here, and the problem, the problem that I'm having is it is that it is a household figurine that is an household idol. Jacob serves Yahweh. 
It is Yahweh who gives the blessing. So the point is Rachel should not have bothered the household idol at all. Break away from idolatry as a whole. And one of the problems that we're going to see is the failure of Jacob, Jacob's children, Jacob's children to do that. Two basic failures, the failure to keep away from idolatry and the failure to keep away from the intermixing with the Canaanites in the land. And that's when we're going to see, and I'm way ahead, guys, I'm way, way ahead. But that's when we're going to see the need God determines his need to send them into Goshen of Egypt. Okay, but I can't get into all of that right now. Just trying to finish this particular section. So Jacob takes all of his family and all of their things. Rachel sneaks the idol away. He heads toward the land of promise and sets his face in Gilead. Verse 22. When it was told Laban. On the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days journey. And he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream of the night and said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I met, might have sent you away with joy and with song, with timbrel and with lyre, and did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Now you have indeed, you have indeed gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? And now let's stop right here with the words or the issue issue dealing with Laban. So Laban finds out that Jacob has gone and he's been gone for three days. And that's why they call it on the third day, three days journey. So he pursues Jacob for seven days. And so he finds Jacob in Gilead. But before he encounters Jacob, God appears to Laban in a dream of night. Remember, I said the dream thing occurs a number of times here. God speaks to Laban, the Syrian. Now, Laban is not a worshiper of God. He may be a worshiper of gods and includes Yahweh with the gods, but he is an idolater. OK, but nevertheless, God speaks to him in a dream and told him, you don't say anything to Jacob at all. Don't bother him and say nothing good nor bad to him. And so Jacob continues on until he encounters Jacob. And when he encounters Jacob, he acts wounded. He is lying and deceptive even at this time, saying to Jacob, as if, as if he is wounded by Jacob's action, 
Why did you leave like a thief in the night? I wanted to see my children, my daughters, my grandchildren, kiss them, bless them, throw a big party, have a very festive occasion for them in a farewell type of a sense. But you denied me this last way of seeing, this last means, manner of seeing my children and my grandchildren and you stole away from me and you did that wrongfully and you deceived me. And notice we kept seeing the issue of being deceived, calling Jacob a deceiver. When in reality, notice, and we'll see this even later on in the text, but we've also seen it before, that it's Laban who is the deceiver. The changing of the wages shows the deceptive act and nature of Laban. When he took those speckled and spotted sheep away, it indicated the deceptive nature of Laban, so, but he continues to call Jacob. So he's trying to make Jacob seem like he's the guy in the wrong, when in reality, it's Laban the guy who's in the wrong. But anyway, then he continues to tell him now, because remember, Laban has left his, uh, has con pursued Jacob with men with him. He was trying to fool Jacob and say, now I can do you harm if I wanted to. No, he couldn't do him any harm because one, God had already revealed to him, don't bother him. And we know that God had already promised Jacob, I will be with you, divine protection. But he did tell the truth in this thing concerning the dream that God had given him to say nothing to Jacob, neither good nor bad. But then he ends in, in saying to Jacob, you just committed a great folly. You were wrong, Jacob, in what you had done. And so now let's look at Jacob's response. And oh, but before we got there, he finally got to the last part, which really is the most important part. And the real reason for or one of the reasons, primary, why he was pursuing Jacob. Why did you steal my gods? That is the teraphim, the household teraphim. And remember everything that we said about the teraphim, it gave the right, the holder of the teraphim, the right of the inheritance. He couldn't even transfer this now, even to his own sons, if he wanted to, to his own sons, even though he didn't have much at this time. But anyway, so that was his primary concern, the stealing of the gods. And he wanted to get those, that household figurine, idol God back. Now let's look at Jacob's response. Then Jacob replied to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. The one with whom you find your gods shall not live in the presence of our kinsmen. Point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel has stolen them. So, Je so Laban went into J Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle and she sat on them and Laban felt through all of the tent, but did not find them. She said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the manner of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, 
What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was. By the day, he consumed me. And the frost by night, my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. Okay, so now we see Jacob is angry after Laban has searched the tent. So what happened? He said, okay, Jacob said, fine. You're talking about somebody has stole your household idols because Jacob had no idea his favorite wife, Rachel, was the one who stole the teraphim. So Jacob says, I tell you what, whomever hands you find the household idol, let him be put to death. And he says this in the company of Jacob's brethren who are bearing witness and Laban's brethren, the men that they brought with him, who are bearing witness. So Laban begins to aggressively search the tents. He searched Jacob's tent. He searched Leah's tent. He searched the handmaiden's tents. And he also searched Rachel's tents. Now, interesting thing, when he came into the tent of Rachel, Rachel had taken the teraphim, the household idol, and put it in a saddle. And Rachel was sitting on top of it so that when Laban came into Rachel's tent to search it, Rachel remained sitting and this would be considered disrespectful to her father not to stand and greet him in a proper manner. And so Rachel remained as she was sitting to hide the idol, of course, so that he would not search it. And so Rachel made an excuse. She told a lie and simply said the time of women of the manner of women is upon me. In other words, she said it was her menstrual cycle. Her menstrual cycle was on at the present time. And so therefore excuse her this time for not standing and greeting her properly. So after finishing searching all of the, all of the tents, he came out, he found nothing. And that's when Jacob now goes on the attack and tells him, where is my sin? Where's my transgression? How have I mistreated you? Who has your idol? If, you, if, it had, if somebody had your idol, set it out here before. Whatever has been taken from you, let it be seen in the presence of the brethren. And then Jacob begins to show him that he Jacob is not the one who is at fault, but it's Laban who is the one who is at fault. And he begins to recount to him how that Jacob's service to him has been exemplary. Jacob served him, he says, for 20 years he has been with him. He has been with him seven years apiece for both wives. 
Leah, as well as Rachel, and six years for his flock. And he talks about how that Laban was deceitful in all the number of times, 10 times how he changed Jacob's particular wages. And Jacob could, could, had no nothing to do. He couldn't respond to this, but God himself came to Jacob's protection and God himself blessed and transferred Laban's wealth over to Jacob. And then he begins to say, and I want to concentrate right here in verse number 38, he says, your ewes and female goats have not miscarried. That is, Jacob was letting him know that because of God's hand of blessing upon Jacob, he blessed Laban's goats. And so they did not miscarry. In other words, I have been a blessing to you and my God has blessed you because of me. He says, nor have I eaten of the rams of your flocks. When a man, when a shepherd is taking care of the flock of another man, okay, he has a right to eat of that flock. But Jacob says here, even though he shepherded Laban's flock, he fed himself and as well, of course, his family, he fed himself of his own flock. And Jacob had a right to eat of Laban's flock, but he forwent, he, he, he forego, I guess that's the way, right, right word to use. But he denied himself this particular right. Verse 39, and then he talked about the beasts that were torn. It was also customary that if a beast was torn by a wild animal, the shepherd would bring some sort of the remains of that animal to the owner presented to him and therefore the, the shepherd, the, the shepherd who was taking care of the flock would not be held responsible for it. And also too, if thieves would come in and steal it, the shepherd would come in, the one who kept the sheep would not be responsible for the loss. But what Jacob is here saying is whether or not animals tore or thieves stolen, he bore the loss of Laban's flock himself. That is, he made the replacement in the flock. And that's when he finally ended and said, talked about the wage changes. And he says, you know what the truth of the matter is? If God had not appeared to you that night to judge my case, you surely would have sent me away the same way I came in empty handed. That means in his anger, his envy and his unjust character, Laban would have kept Jacob's wives, children and property. OK. And Jacob said, you in your anger and your envy, whatever it is, you would have sent me away with nothing. So now we enter into the covenant, the response of Laban. Then Laban replied to Jacob. The daughters are my daughters and the children are my children. The flocks are my flocks and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these, my daughters or to their children whom they are born? So now come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap and they ate by there by the heap. Now Laban called it Jagar Sada Sahadutha, but Jacob called it 
Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, it was named Galid and Mizpah, for he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from the other. If you mistreat my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, God is witness between you and me. Laban said to Jacob, behold, this heap and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal and they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. All right. So now we see Laban after Jacob just tore him out the frame. <laughs> said that no, it's not me who has been the one acting in a deceitful manner. It's you, Laban, and he enumerated all of Laban's uh, past egregious acts to Jacob. But anyway, so he says, Laban begins to respond and says, oh, well, what can I do? I'm not going to hurt my children. I wouldn't have done you wrong and all and all. And so that's basically the idea of what he's pretty, pretty much doing and saying that he could not uh, hurt his daughters because those are his daughters wrong. Those are his children wrong. And those are his flocks wrong again. All of those things belong to Jacob. But that's the whole point of what he's trying to do. And so he is saying, I can't hurt that which is mine own. So he asked Jacob to make a covenant. And so Jacob agrees to make the covenant. So Jacob tells the men to take stones and they were going, they're going to form a heap. And the whole idea of making a heap of stones, stones on top of another, is to form a memorial. A memorial simply means something that is done as an act or in an act of remembrance. So they're going to make a covenant and the stones will be there as in, to indicate the memorial that Laban and Jacob made a covenant. Now, what are the details of the covenant? And so Laban is basically the one who is setting forth the demands of the covenant. As we see in the text, you don't particularly see anything from Jacob setting the covenants, Laban sets the terms and Jacob basically agrees. Now the terms are self-protective for Laban and in his self-interest. And basically he says, and it's kind of ridiculous, he says that you will not hurt my daughters. Okay, fine. That's understandable. Then he says, you won't take any other additional wives to my daughters. Okay, now you're getting a little personal. That's none of his business. But nevertheless, Jacob agrees he won't take any other wives or do any harm to his daughters. And then finally, that he would not cross over that marker, that heap of stones. That marker to Jacob 
to do Jacob harm and that Jacob would not cross over that marker to do him harm. Okay. Now that is self-explanatory in one way. And also it could be an implication back again to the household God. And the implication would be that if indeed Jacob had the teraphim, the household God, and remember that we said, according to the, uh, the newsing tablets that whoever was the possessor of these tablets was the possessor of the properties of the father. That is that if Jacob indeed had the household God, he could not later on cross over the line back into Padan Aram and claim the property of, uh, of Laban. And that's Probably that's that may very well be a thinking in the mind of Laban. But nevertheless, that was the issue of the covenant. All right. And so and then he invokes this line where he says and he calls the name of that place. Let's talk about those names. He, he calls the name of the place Jagar Sahadutha, which is Syrian. That's just in the Syrian language, which simply means a heap of stones. OK, a pillar of the heap, a heap of stones. But in Hebrew, Jacob called it Galid, which has the same meaning, the heap of stones, a pillar of the heap, same meaning. It's just two different words. And then also uh, Laban called it Mizpah and Mizpah means tower, tower. And that's why he says, for may the Lord watch as in a watch tower. And so he called the name of that place Mizpah. But back to the oath, may the Lord watch. Now he invokes, that is Laban. He invokes the name of Jacob's God. So he is trying to make certain that Jacob will remain true to the covenant under the threat of Jacob's God. Laban again is not a believer, a worshiper in the true God, but he is invoking this in the name of Jacob's God to hold Jacob under his oath that Jacob may be remain compliant to this particular covenant in which they are making. But let me make a statement. May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. And that is knowing that I won't be here and you won't be with me. I won't be with you. Nobody. We won't see each other, but God will see each other and God will avenge if either of us break the covenant, that's what he is saying. But also on another note, uh, I have heard many times people make the statement in church. Matter of fact, in, in my home church, I probably shouldn't have said it, but I did. It used to be said at benediction, may the Lord watch between you and me while we're absent one from another. And then they would say, amen. They would use that as a benediction. This is not a benediction. It is a threat from Jacob. The statement is simply saying, if we break the covenant, may God judge us. If either one of us break the covenant. So this is not a good statement to use in benediction or any type of agreement, unless you are threatening the individual. But nevertheless, they set up the heat. They had a covenant meal. That's what we see with this eating right here. Covenant meal between Jacob and Laban. But we also see later on that on the mountain, Jacob invites his brethren to a covenant meal. 
And so the idea seems to indicate that they are also coming. That is Jacob, his brethren and his sons are coming in this covenant meal, not to remember heap of stones cross back over into the land of Padan Aram. And this can possibly explain why when it came time for Jacob's sons, Jacob's sons to get wise for themselves, they never went back to Haran, the heap of stones you cannot cross back over. It says for harm, but the idea is in Jacob's mind, it seemed to say for no reason at all, inclusive of finding a wife for his wives, for his own sons. OK, but they have the meal of the covenant meal. And finally, in the morning, Laban woke up. He kissed uh, his daughters, his grandchildren, and he left again. I want to bring notice to you that he did not kiss Jacob. But remember when he first met Jacob, he kissed him and all of that stuff and welcomed him. And the relationship here has completely disintegrated. All right, guys, thanks for joining me on that lengthy study. Now, as Jacob is entering, is getting ready to enter back into the land of promise and continuing his journey, his thoughts have left from Laban and now he begins to remember that it was his brother who had promised to kill him because of the, what his brother called the stolen blessing. And now Jacob is concerned, what will happen when I meet my brother Esau? Join me guys the next time we come when God helps Jacob to deal with that instance. See you then.